Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. On this day, the body of our Lord Jesus Christ rests in the tomb. After enduring mockery and scorn, beatings and crucifixion, Christ our Lord died declaring, It is finished. Jesus fulfilled his Father's will. He shed his innocent blood on behalf of all mankind. He paid for the sins of the entire world. The creed rightly says, as you confessed moments ago, he descended into hell. But the creed does not say everything about what Jesus has done. Most details concerning our Lord's life are omitted from the creed. After all, it doesn't say in the creed that Jesus walked on water, but yet he certainly did. And also all of the events surrounding our Lord's passion, his crucifixion, burial, and resurrection are not, all those details are not all found in the creed. Jesus told the thief on the cross something startling. He said to him, Amen, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The thief died yesterday on Good Friday after his legs had been broken and then dying of asphyxiation. But he had repented of his sin and he believed in our Lord Jesus Christ and so the, the thief's soul went to heaven. His body would have been buried to await the glorious resurrection of all flesh on the last day. But what do we make of Jesus' words when he says to the thief, today you will be with me in paradise? How can Jesus be in heaven when the creed says that Jesus descended into hell? Well, this is where the creed does not give us every last detail. It doesn't say one of the things that Jesus did. After all, we do know that Jesus suffered hell when he was on the cross because it is there that he was forsaken by his Father in heaven. It is there that he suffered the very wrath of God because he bore our sin in his own body. Jesus on the cross suffered this wrath being held, uh, held accountable for committing all of the world's sin. So then Jesus, when he said, it is finished, that work of salvation was now complete. Therefore, when Jesus descended into hell, he did not go there to suffer, but instead he would descend there to announce his victory. When Jesus died, he said, into your hands I commit my spirit. He commended himself into the hands of his father. He trusted his father who accepted the payment of his blood. And so Jesus, when he died, he didn't go straight to hell to announce his victory, but being commended into his father's hands, he went to his father in heaven first. He was there to receive the, cheat, the thief on the cross in paradise. As the explanation of the small catechism states, the scriptures teach that Christ, after he was made alive in his grave, descended into hell, not to suffer punishment, 
but to proclaim his victory over his enemies in hell. And then it goes on to quote from 1 Peter 3 about Christ's descent into hell. So Jesus did not go there to suffer further, for he had already endured it on, and or endured all the required suffering on the cross, and he rightly said, it is finished. So upon our Lord's death, his body was carefully and lovingly placed in the grave. The soldiers secured the tomb as well as they possibly could. Those who hated Jesus were afraid our Lord's disciples would steal our Lord's body and attempt to stage some sort of resurrection. After all, Jesus did state on numerous occasions that he would die and then rise from the dead on the third day. The intent of the soldiers was to make it simply impossible for anyone to gain access to the body of Jesus in just a few days, thereby preventing anyone from deceiving the people by staging some sort of fake resurrection. The soldiers stood also by in watch, ensuring that no one would even try to attempt such a thing. Of course, as we know from the accounts of the resurrection of our Lord as recorded in the four Gospels, no human was needed to remove the tombstone and certainly no one was needed to attempt to stage some sort of resurrection. Instead, an angel rolled the stone away and Jesus rose victoriously from the grave through the glory of the Father. And when Jesus rose from the dead, his body rose. He rose bodily. Before the body of Jesus was laid in the grave, the soldiers needed to ensure that Jesus was truly dead. And so they pierced his side, outcoming blood and water, indicating that his heart had stopped beating, showing to them that he was truly dead. For, of course, he had already said, into your hands I commend my spirit. His spirit had already left his body, the true marker of death. Blood and water are means of life. We cannot live without them. And Christ has instituted sacraments in the church, which use both blood and water, by which God is granting to his people life. In holy baptism, water is applied to sinners as the word is spoken I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And of course, tonight we remembered our own baptisms. As we heard in Luther's flood prayer tonight, God drowned hard-hearted Pharaoh and all his hosts in the Red Sea, yet led it, God's people Israel through the water on dry ground, foreshadowing this washing of holy baptism. And so in our baptism, Jesus takes away our sin, drowns them away, washes them, and then covers us with his very righteousness, adding us to his family, bringing us into the promised land of his church, and granting us salvation. And on Thursday night, Jesus took bread and gave to his disciples his body. He took the cup of wine and gave to his disciples his blood. And through this, Christians are united to Christ and, and re, they receive his forgiveness, granting them the gift of salvation. The, sal the gift of salvation is sure. 
not because of our performance of some sort of things, of some sort of commanded ritual, but because of what God is doing through his word and through the visible word, which includes that blood and water in the Lord's Supper and baptism. For he is bestowing on us what they say, namely the forgiveness of sins. And where there is forgiveness of sins, there is life and salvation. And so just as Jesus rose bodily from the dead, we will as well. Jesus will return and he will raise our lifeless bodies from the grave. Therefore, our rest in the grave, like our Lord's, will be temporary. Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit because they have been united to Christ, dying and rising with him in baptism and receiving his body and blood in Holy Communion. We take care of the dead with the same type of care and concern as did the disciples when Jesus died. We don't burn them up or discard them in the sea or throw them in the forest or plant them on the mountains, but we bury them, their bodies carefully, tucking them in for their temporary rest in the grave. Normally, their bodies face east, that is how most cemeteries are oriented, so that they can face the rising sun. It's also the same orientation for many churches, such as ours, facing east to await the coming of Christ and the rising sun, to await the return of Jesus, who will on the last day raise the bodies of all who abided in him to be glorious and immortal, to have bodies that are incorruptible, not unlike our Lord's own body. And it is with this hope and confidence that we keep vigil tonight through the word and prayer and in remembrance of our baptism and as we receive the Lord's Supper. Christ has triumphed. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.